Good morning. Oh, Carver, man. Good morning. Man, I'm glad you're here. Welcome to Men's Roundtable. Glad you're here. And I just sat down and still was asking, me, said, uh, how you doing? I said, man, I feel like my brain's in a blender right now. I got so many places to go, but Carver, you just, you just secured it for me. One of, one of the things I want to share this morning involves you, so since you're here, that's great. Man, Phil's back. If you missed last week, Roan was here. I know you'd have a hard time believing this, but we talked about sex. <laughs> when Roan's here, that seems to be the topic that he chooses. I don't know why, but it just seems to one that he naturally goes to. So we're going to continue in the series of fathering. Haven't shared lately much about um, any events coming up, but if you did notice, Two Gun Tactical was being flashed up here. Uh, Ricky Davis is one of the hosts of it. He will be out this month, and also a father and son event that Roan and Roe are putting on up at Ebenezer. I'm sure there are deer camps that are going on. No, excuse me, fish camps that'll be going on during the summer, not deer camps. Do deer uh, camps in the fall. August 25th, August 25 through 27 is our first fish camp. Okay, August 25 through 27. So we're in a series on fathering, and I've got a lot running around in my mind, thinking about how we start out every morning, act like a man, be strong. How do you act like a man when you might've been fathered by less than a man or no man? How many guys in here are involved in a smaller group than this? All right, let me do it this way. How many guys are not involved in a smaller group? A few guys. Great. Okay. Let me help with that. I need some help with Phil, uh, other counselors in the room, Carver, other groups that meet Friday morning at the Bean. I believe, George, you've got a group you lead. Monday night, there's a group at Vertical Church called Walking Free. That's the one I want to talk about with Carver just a second. Walking Free is part of the Samson Society dealing with sexual brokenness. But if you think that's the only brokenness that you have, a friend Carver shared with us one night, said, well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm, I'm an advanced uh, uh, advanced, tell me, Carver, how was it you put it again, addict? I'm a, I'm a multi-opportunity user, food, alcohol, sex, pizzas, whatever it may be, indulging. But what is it in us that has us do that? How do we walk free of those kind of addictions? Yeah, testosterone, that's probably got a lot to do with it. But there are other groups that meet weekly and jeff i would love it if we could get a list sometime and use it as a as a slide also in the morning of where other men can be connected That's right. as we're working in this series on fatherhood it's uh it's become apparent to me that we didn't all have the best of fathers although our fathers probably did a better job fathering us than their fathers fathered them and i certainly like to think i'm doing a better job of fathering my children than my father fathered me, and I know I'm doing a better job with my grandchildren. But that's because I sit with a group of guys that I can share an experience with, an event that happened, and I can get feedback from somebody else. 
they can tell me, Joe, that's not uh, that's that's not that's not a good behavior. I think the way you handled that could have been handled a little differently. Maybe you ought to do it this way. Think about this. I had this experience when I was growing up. Yeah, I had a similar experience. I can relate to you. I understand how that works. I understand that pain. Lost my dad. I still have my dad. But there's a connection. Fathering. I'm still being fathered by my dad. Fortunately, he's still alive. But I'm also fathered by my two sons. 30 years old. They father me. I still father them. I encourage you to find a group of guys to meet with. One that can be open, vulnerable, sharing, connecting. That's where real growth takes place. I've seen it in my life and I've seen it in the lives of other men. With that, let me open to the prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity of gathering here. Lord, I thank you for my brothers. I thank you for Phil. I thank you for his dedication to this group. I thank you for the leadership, for the breakfast and the coffee. Lord, I ask that you be with Chief Tyler's family this week. Yeah. We continue to pray for them. We continue to pray for the law enforcement community. We had no idea when we prayed last week that Chief Tyler was going to be shot just hours later. That loss is tragic to this community. The effects on that young girl that was left and her family, as James shared with me this morning, wrap your arms around them, Lord. It's only your comfort that will see them through. May they feel your presence. May you be with them. In your name we pray. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, thank you, Jeff. <laughs> Morning, gentlemen. Good to be in the house. Good to be back. Um, so grateful for uh, Roan pinch hitting uh, for me last week. Um, I had to come back because I heard y'all were showing videos of me. Yep. <laughs> I had to protect myself. So, um, you know, Carla and I celebrated our 41st wedding anniversary uh, in Cabo, St. Lucas. Um, and you know, you've been married 41 years when you can take your 36 year old daughter with you on your uh, anniversary celebration. <laughs> so that's kind of the way that worked. You know, things are a little bit different these days than they used to be. So my girls were posting all kinds of videos uh, that I didn't even know about because I don't do the Facebook thing and all that. Uh, so so Jeff has one that's a whole lot better than the one that Roan showed last week. Watch this. A little taste of uh,
41 years. How about it? How about it? Praise God for a good wife. Uh, what Carla has put up with, um, it's amazing. As uh, Ruth Graham was asked one time about Billy, said, uh, they asked Ruth, said, uh, Ruth, have you ever thought about divorce? And uh, Ruth said, no, never thought about divorce, but um, homicide on many occasions. <laughs> so I think Carla could say that uh, for sure. Um, so a uh, couple of things that I want to mention before we dig into our study this morning. Um, we're trying to uh, uh, demolition uh, the uh, kitchen cabin. I've sent out a couple of emails, and we've got two guys that are willing to go up. We need uh, three or four more guys. Uh, and it's basically just tearing out the kitchen shelves and moving uh, some appliances. Should be a pretty simple job on, on Saturday morning. So we need some manpower uh, so that we can go in and then uh, build bunks and convert the old kitchen cabin into a bunkhouse. So uh, please give that consideration. Uh, and if you can go up, come and see me afterwards and um, we'll know that we've got uh, a crew to go with the two guys that are already uh, committed. So we'd like to get three or four more. Um, so please, please help Saturday morning from like 8 a.m. to noon. Uh, Ron, come up and share with the group a little bit about the father-son um, deer camp uh, weekend, please. Thank you, sir. Guys, uh, this will be a great opportunity. Uh, space is limited. Uh, Roe, my my thirty-seven year thirty-seven thirty-seven year old son, uh, he and I will be uh, facilitating this together. Uh, this one is uh, is backed by popular demand. Uh, we did one of these a few years ago, and just because of time and schedules and all that, we've not done another one. We've had, we've had so many guys that have said, like, when are y'all going to do another one of these? Mm -hmm. And so uh, we put it on the schedule. Uh, we're, there's a there's a, just a couple of spots uh, that are left. Uh, we haven't even put it out there, and it, the guys signed up. Uh, but it it will be a it's a powerful weekend the one we did before uh, you can see the testimonial quote up there uh it was a game changer uh for not only for that for that father-son duo uh but but the others as well uh but when you have a 16 year old that kind of uh shifts his attitude uh and uh, his his relationship with his father changes and, and gets much better, uh, you're doing something right. Uh, and so it's just the same schedule as deer camp. We'll start Friday uh, around five o'clock and then we'll be done Sunday around one o'clock. And so, man, if you are interested, uh, I would implore you to uh, sign up, sign up now, sign up quick, because it will be worth uh, every every minute of it. Thanks, guys. Thank you, sir. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> Thank you, Ron. Mm -hmm. um, I want to mention to you um, that as we continue in our series uh, the next few weeks, and, and we'll wind up uh, this series uh, at the end of the month, uh, next Thursday uh, is the Thursday before Father's Day. And what we'd like to do next Thursday is have a father-son guest day here at Men's Roundtable. 
So what I want to ask you to do is uh, let's get as many father-son uh, combos in the room as possible. So kind of make that um, um, a um, uh, source of focus uh, this week. Uh, invite your sons, invite your fathers, uh, and let's see if we can fill this room with father-sons um, uh, next week. So father-son guest day, next Thursday, June 15th. Um, at men's round table. Okay. So this morning, uh, I have a song for you. Um, many of you have heard this song, um, that great gospel singer, Luke Bryan. And I want to offer you this song, build me a daddy, uh, build me a daddy. Um, we are all tied to our fathers in a way that ties us to eternity. Um, Follow with me as I just read a portion of this um, to kind of give you an idea of where this is headed and uh, invite you to just reflect on where you are as a father and even where you are as a son to your father. A boy walks past a window of a glowing open sign full of wooden toys and trucks and painted trains, rings the bell up on the counter, hands a picture to the man of a kid beside a soldier smiling away said, sir, I've heard you can build anything. Could you build me a daddy? Strong as Superman, make him 10 feet tall with a southern drawl and a crooked smile if you can, because I sure miss him. Maybe you could make him, bring him back. If I walked in with him, I'd sure make mama happy if you could build me a daddy. May you hear the voice of God and may he open our hearts to what he has for us this morning. A boy walks past a window of a boy open sign full of wooden toys and trucks and painted trains. Rings a bell up on the counter, hands a picture to the man of a kid beside a soldier smiling away said sir i've heard you can build anything could you build me a daddy strong as superman make him 10 feet tall with a southern draw and a crooked smile if you can because i should miss him Maybe you could bring him back If I walked in with him It'd sure make mama happy If you could build me a daddy There's an old Winchester rifle Back home hanging on the wall He promised me he'd teach me how to aim said when I got older we could work on that curveball I know he'd never want to miss a game so here's a little money that I've saved could you build me a daddy strong as Superman make him ten feet tall with a southern drawl and a crooked smile you can't, I sure miss it. Maybe 
like men. Be strong. The words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Follow with me as we read our introductory paragraph. Let's dig in. The power of a father. As men in a culture under attack, we need an understanding of mature masculinity, a vision and direction we can pursue with our sons and daughters. We need tools, methods, and ideas to help us become godly men and from which to equip our sons and our daughters. We need to grow up. Jacob, the patriarch of Israel, the father of a nation, is a troubling character in the Old Testament. He is conniving and he is spiritual too. He has moments of strong faith as well as of fear. His family is sometimes in disarray, and yet at the end, he is the one who sets it straight. Jacob, whose very name suggests deceiver, is renamed by God as Israel, one who has struggled with God. And an entire nation is named after this patriarch, the nation of Israel. Jacob is a bit too much like us, with very human strengths and weaknesses, but a man with a striving for spiritual things. From this imperfect man, we learn important lessons of faith, especially we learn about God's grace. Time to engage. Enjoy the adventure. And this morning, we're looking at Facing the Father Wound, Part 2. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. We want to dig into this a little deeper, Facing the Father Wound. So here's the question that I want to ask you this morning to respond to. The question is this, how were you impacted by your father in a positive way and in a negative way. What comes to your mind? How were you impacted by your father in a positive way and in a negative way? Now, let me tease this out for you as you're considering that and you can continue to just jot down thoughts as I put some things on the board. You can take notes on this. Uh, this is not in your notes, but I wanted to, um, to give this to you. So, um, impact, and especially how we were impact, impacted in a wounded way. And by wound, 
I mean where there's lack of love. So just to be clear, a wound um, is when we um, have an absence uh, or a deprivation of love. I often laugh when uh, I'm using this idea of wound and a man says, well, I don't, I don't have any father wounds. <laughs> really? Well, you must have come through evolution and crawled out from under a rock. Because if you have a father, you have a wound, not that you had a bad father, but uh, you had an imperfect father, a broken father. So we're all wounded in, in, some, in some way. Now, here's, here's the positives of what um, God designed us to receive from our fathers. And I'll give you five pieces of this. <clears throat> and the first piece is that we ought to know that we're beloved. We're the beloved. I know I was loved. I know I was cherished. My dad was a great lover. And from that sense of, of, of beloved comes a strong sense of self. I got that from my dad. Hopefully you can say that. That there is a sense of security. My dad helped me feel secure always. I never felt that rumbling in my gut of insecurity because my dad gave me security. A good dad gives me a sense of value. I know my worth. I don't have to go looking for it in illegitimate, inappropriate ways. I have a strong <laughs> sense of value because of my connection to my dad. And then I, because of my dad and the wisdom that he gave me, I have the ability to make good choices and I have discernment. I can see stupidity ahead. I can see foolishness ahead, and I go the other way. And then finally, a good dad offers you reality. Reality is your friend. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. The word for truth in the Greek there literally means reality. What Jesus was saying is that you'll know reality. And so a good dad helps you know reality. So the impact of the father wound the negative when we didn't get those things this is what it looks like. We engage in performing or achieving in order to be loved. So we move toward performance. We're like a, a, a hungry lab looking for a dog biscuit. You know, you know, give me a dog biscuit, you know, and we move into performance and achieving because we have such a deprivation of love. Secondly, rather than feeling secure, what happens is we move into codependency. And codependency 
is when we start seeking validation, approval, and a sense of self through other people. I'm trying to be validated, approved, or figure out who I am by taking my uh, sense of security to a woman or to my profession, to an employer, to a boss, uh, to some other outside source because I have such insecurity and all of a sudden I'm codependent. And I can't make a clear decision, but I've got to be a pleaser and I'm in trouble. Thirdly, rather than feeling valued from the wound, is I start believing that I'm not enough. We have a core belief that we're not worthy or just not good enough. That's what a wound looks like. I'm not, I never felt good enough. I never felt good enough. My dad never spoke into my life. Or he spoke harshly into my life. Sometimes the wound is because of what dad said, and other times it may be of what dad didn't say. I mean, silence can be just as damaging as harshness and anger. Fourthly, this, the impact of the wound is that we choose poorly. We make stupid decisions. We unconsciously choose partners or professions that mimic the conflicted father-child dynamic that we experienced in ch childhood, and we start acting out old roles in old scenarios from our childhood. In my counseling practice, um, I've had the painful experience of, of sitting with men who have been married four, five, and six times. You know? And uh, it's funny sitting with them sometimes because they're trying to convince me that there's no bad women out there. I mean, I mean, there's no good women out there. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, there's one common denominator in all those marriages. You know what that is, don't you? You know, it's like everywhere I go, there I am. My picker is broken. There's something wrong with me. And then, and then finally, this idea of the wound, rather than dealing with reality, is, is what I do is I move toward idealizing. I idealize my dad and I live in some kind of child fantasy that I had the perfect dad and we engage in this uh, worshiping father in order to protect ourselves from the pain that he caused us so so rather than deal with reality the good and the bad of our dad and and and, and we honor him in the way he's honorable and we just acknowledge and he's broken and we forgive him and we can move toward that. We idealize him, and he, I, you know, I had the perfect dad. You know, I've been in and out of treatment all my life, and I'm and I'm an alcoholic, a drug addict, a sex addict, a, a, a food addict. But my dad was great. Really? Well, I'm not convinced. 
I'm not convinced. So hopefully this is this is helpful in understanding this idea of the wound and what God intended us to receive from our dad and then what a wound might look like. So I ask you the question again that I started with. How have you been impacted both positively and negative by your dad? Did you hear ever growing up, son, I'm deeply proud of you. You have what it takes. I'm so proud of you. You have what it takes. I want you to spend a few minutes just talking, telling the story um, of your dad uh, with a partner next to you and answer that question. How were you impacted in a positive way and how were you impacted in a negative way by your dad? Pair up, spend a few minutes, go. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. 
on, gentlemen. Let's continue. I truly, I truly believe that it's so important for us to tell the stories of our life. And when we're telling the stories of our life, of course, we cannot avoid telling the stories of our dad. Um, and as I've tried to say consistently through this series, uh, love your dad, forgive your dad, understand his own brokenness. Uh, no matter where he was in his journey spiritually with God or his, in his own attempt uh, to act like a man, um, he failed. And so have you. And it is absolutely critical if you are to be, and if I am to be the man that God has designed us to be, that we move toward forgiving our dads, accepting them in reality, not in an idealized place, and live freely. And live, living freely means to love generously. That's what living freely is. Um, Jesus has said repeatedly, that the mark of a Christian is that he loves well. And when you're carrying bitterness and resentment and anger toward your dad, and you can't be reconciled with your dad, and, and that's going to take some forgiveness. I'm not in any way saying that he hasn't failed. But you carry that around, it's like carrying a dead person, dragging a dead person uh, around uh, on your ankle. Don't do that. I want to show you a clip um, that um, can, can be taken in so many ways. It's, a, it's an interesting clip because um, if we had the time and we did a survey of everybody in the room after we watched this clip of what you saw, there would be mixed reviews on this clip, I think. It's the opening scene um in a river runs through it great movie about father and son so many twists and turns and dynamics of brothers and a father the dynamic of the father and what happened in the son's lives watch this clip and we'll talk about it so my brother and i learned cast presbyterian style on a metronome. He began each session with the same instruction. Casting is an art that is performed on a four count rhythm between 10 o'clock and two o'clock. If he had had his way, nobody who did not know how to catch a fish would be allowed to disgrace a fish by catching it. So it was with my formal education as well. Each weekday while my father worked on his Sunday sermon, I attended the school of the Reverend McLean. He taught nothing but reading and writing, and being a Scot, believed that the art of writing lay in thrift. Half as long. <laughs> it's 
So while my friends spent their days at Missoula Elementary, I stayed home and learned to write the American language. <laughs> Again, half as long. so much in me you know and and um some of you saw that as just wow that's the ideal father right there that that's the way you do it and others of you like me are thinking hell no <laughs> excuse my language I, I i just let that slip right out that's like no dude it's like no dude i'm a child of the six i wasn't at woodstock but i wanted to be at woodstock you know, it's like, whoa, dude, you know, it, it so much reminds me years ago, um, I, uh, I was teaching on the uh, prodigal son parable, Luke chapter 15. And after I finished, you know, I've, I've done the, uh, the, the three characters, you know, the younger, the rebellious younger son, the forgiving father, and the older brother. And I was kind of given the old self-righteous older brother you know, a bad review. And one guy comes up to me after this true story and he says, man, I've always identified with the older brother. I think he was in the right. I mean, what's wrong with the older brother? He's rigid as all get out. He's entitled. He's demanding. If I do it right, it ought to be right. You know, that's what's wrong. And when I watch that clip, it stirs up so much in me because you can be so rigid that you can kill the heart of a young boy. Now, some, some boys would grow up in that and be president or something. I don't know, you know? But it, it, it's not an exact science in terms of how you do parenting. It's much more of a personalized approach. Structure and nurture have got to be dished out in appropriate ways to that person. It takes both structure and nurture. And two sons growing up in the same home, one can be wounded and the other um, prosper if you use the same formula for both boys because they're different. I want you to write this down. <laughs> Wound plus vow equals false self or a role. Now what that means is this, every time we're wounded, we make a vow. 
implicitly or explicitly. I'm wounded, I make a vow. And then that creates a role or a false self that I play. For example, I've told you the wound that I experienced when I was 13 or so, uh, Boy Scout wanted to go to Philmont. Uh, um, uh, Dad didn't want to go to that uh, Boy Scout meeting. I was deeply wounded by Dad just not wanting to go. I was deeply wounded so much that I made a vow um, uh, very much on a conscious level. Um, I'm on my own. I'll never ask for help from my dad again. The message of the wound, the message of the wound was, you're alone, you're on your own. And then the vow that I made is I'll never ask for help. And to this day, I have a hard time asking for help. I, I don't do help uh, easily. I'd, I'd rather be a loner or, or a people pleaser. I'd rather be a giver and help you than acknowledge my need for help. Now, why would that be? You know, that started in my childhood a long time ago. And so it's easy to play a role, which is our false self, rather than be the man that God created me to be. Now, what I just went over, look at your notes there, the power, uh, the facing the father wound, the second part, those 10 pieces. What I just went through is number three, number four, and number five. The message of the wound, of the arrows. We've used the, the idea of the arrow as a metaphor for your wound. It's not so much the pain you've experienced, but what you've learned from it. What did the arrows say about you, about God, about others, about life in general? Can you hear these messages still playing in your life today? And the message of the wound that I experienced was, you're on your own. <laughs> Nobody's going to go with you. You're on your own. And then how we respond. I became a flaming codependent. Man, I was a people pleaser. I'd saddle up um, to somebody uh, that I respected and I did everything I could to be that Labrador retriever seeking another dog biscuit. And uh, that, that didn't work very well because I, I, I honestly did not know what I wanted, but I could figure out what somebody else that I respected wanted and I did everything I could to please that person. And man, that just about destroyed my life when I got into my early 30s, mid-30s. And then, as I say, there's a vow. How do you respond or react? Commitments form never to be in that position again, never to know that sort of pain again. The result is an approach to life that we often call our personality the commitments are something like vows. I'll never try that again. I'll never let them laugh at me again. I'll never be put in that position again. And when I got up, up off of that kitchen floor, my dad dragging me across the kitchen floor as he put his plate in the sink, my vow was clear. I'll never ask for your help again. I realize I'm on my own. And off I went running. And it, it was a crazy ride.
Still is a crazy ride. Still is. The power of Father. Yep, Jeff. Yep. Jeff just said, in many ways, I've tried to give what I didn't get. And I, and I think that my life testimony really is trying to do everything that I can to be a father um, to many while at the same time being fathered by many. I mean, you guys in this room have given to me tremendously, tremendously. Uh, you have responded many times to my asking for help that is not easy for me to ask for, whether it's asking for a few guys to go up to Ebenezer Place and tear out a cabin or contributing to our ministry or whatever it is. You guys have been great, but it's very hard for me to ask for that kind of help. Because I see in my head being drugged across the kitchen floor and being rejected and not being valued. Does that make sense? Do you see that? That's why this father stuff is so powerful. So powerful. I want to be rightly connected to my heavenly father. And in order to do that, I have to keep working through the template that I got from my earthly father in his own brokenness um, and overcome many of those pictures in templates. So turn over to Genesis 31, and let's take a quick look at Jacob as our case study. Jacob's character consistently changed through this narrative. God is so imaginative that he gives us a patriarchal figure in Jacob who is so broken, but he takes him through this incredible a drama of working with his uncle Laban while he changed Jacob's character. I want you to look at verse uh, three and four of chapter 31. And I, and, um, I, I think I'll throw Jeff a curve here because I don't, uh, I wasn't planning on using this, but I want you to look at, uh, at verse uh, three in chapter 31. That's when God said to Jacob, Go back home where you were born. I'll go with you. So he's, send, he's sending Jacob back home. But I want you to watch in this paragraph just what is beginning to happen with Jacob. As much as Jacob is broken and God's telling him to go back home, listen to what Jacob says. So Jacob sent word for Rachel and Leah to meet him out in the field where his flocks were. And he said, I notice that your father has changed toward me. He doesn't treat me the same as before, but the God, but God, but God of my father hasn't changed. He's still with me. What you're seeing happen after um, Jacob's born again experience, if you will, in chapter 28 that we read about uh, in Beersheba, He's, he's seeing more and more of what God's doing in his life in spite of his own character and in spite of Uncle Laban. But God, you know how hard I've worked for your father. Still, your father has cheated me over and over, changing my wages again and again. But God, but God never let him really hurt me. 
If he said, your wages will consist of speckled animals, the whole flock would start having speckled lambs and kids. And if he said, from now on, your wages will be streaked animals, the whole flock would have streaked ones. Over and over, God. Over and over, God. Use your father's livestock to reward me. Jacob's perspective is changing. Jump down to verse 22. He and Laban are kind of in conflict at this point. Uh, Jacob's ready to leave. Verse 22. Three days later, Laban got the news. Jacob's run off. Now, Jacob made sure that Laban wasn't around, and he packs up his family and his animals, and he gets, he gets away because he doesn't trust Laban. Jacob's run off. Laban rounded up his relatives and chased after him. Seven days later, they caught up with him in the hill country of Gilead. And that night, God came to Laban, the Armean, in a dream and said, Be careful what you do to Jacob, whether good or bad. God appears to Uncle Laban in order to protect Jacob. But God. But God. And when Laban reached out, uh, reached him. Jacob's tents were pitched in the Gilead Mountains, and Laban pitched his tent there too. And so now they're in conflict. Laban and Jacob. Should jump over to verse 31. Jacob answered Laban, I was afraid. I thought you would take your daughters away from me by brute force. But as far as as your gods are concerned, if you find anybody here that has them, that person dies. Now, what they're fighting about is Laban's uh, idols and his statues of his crazy gods. Uh, and he can't find them, and, he, and um, he's accusing Jacob. Jacob doesn't have them. You know who has them? Rachel. She's, she's got them under the saddle of the camel sitting on them. Uh, the, uh, as they say, the, uh, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Uh, Rachel, good old daughter Rachel's just as deceptive as her daddy is. She's stolen the gods. It's not like Rachel's this godly wife, you know? Uh, but as far as your gods are concerned, if you find that anybody here has them, that person dies. Look out. With all of us watching, look around. If you find anything here that belongs to you, take it. And Jacob didn't know that Rachel had stolen the gods. Guys, this, this whole drama of God's redemptive plan being worked through Jacob um, is so uh, textured with paganism, um, cultural um, parts of, of uh, paganism, and yet God weaves his plan in the midst of just cultural decay. It's, it's amazing. You know, it's not, it, it's messy. It's messy. But Jacob continues to trust God. Now jump down to verse 38. And Jacob makes another plea. In the 20 years I've worked for you, ewes and she-goats never miscarried. I never feasted on the rams from your flock. I never brought you a torn carcass killed by wild animals, but that I paid for it out of my own pocket. Actually, you made me pay whether it was my fault or not. 
I was out in all kinds of weather, from torrid heat to freezing cold, putting in many a sleepless night. For 20 years I've done this. I slaved away 14 years for your two daughters and another six years for your flock, and you changed my wages 10 times. If the God of my father, the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac had not stuck with me, you would have sent me off penniless. But God, but God, but God saw the fix I was in and how hard I'd worked and last night rendered his verdict. Wow. In a bad job, in a hard situation, feel like you've worked 20 years for nothing, join the club. It's called the Jacob Club. Guys, God never apologizes for the difficult people or the difficult circumstance he puts in our lives. Jacob's a great testimony of that. But Jacob was faithful um, to honor his commitment to Uncle Laban, and he trusted God consistently. And gentlemen, that's character. Character counts. And then it goes on in terms of the covenant and the, and the commitment that Uncle Laban and Jacob made not to harm uh, each other. But I want you to get the point that Jacob, as a case study and as a model for us, learns how to trust God and be faithful even in difficult relationships and difficult circumstances. It doesn't mean that you uh, don't set boundaries, you don't say no, or you don't even leave some of those relationships. But it does mean uh, that you struggle with God before you make those decisions. You wrestle with God. That's what Israel means. The name Israel means struggled with God. Where's your struggle today? You've got one. Every man in this room has got one. There's a circumstance and there's a relationship, a rock in your shoe that God's placed there in order to invite you to trust him. I hope you will. The power of a father. Thank you, God. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for our time this morning. Thank you for every man in this room. I pray that every circumstance in every relationship that's a challenge to us, that we will learn to trust you. You'll build the character into us that you've designed us to have, and that would be an honor to you, and you would be a healer to us, be a father to us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Have a great day. <laughs>